Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Remembering the Rattler edition, as we mourn the death and celebrate the life of Ken Riley, one of the best players and classiest people to ever wear a Cincinnati Bengals uniform. He passed away on Sunday morning of a heart attack at the age of 72. Coming up, I'll speak to another Bengals legend who is Riley's teammate for nine seasons in Cincinnati, Bob Trumpy. And then I'll play an interview that Dave Lapham and I did with the Rattler back in 2017 after he was voted the 11th best retired player in franchise history. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. In 1969, in the Bengals' second season, they selected Ken Riley in the sixth round of the NFL Draft. Riley was a four-year starting quarterback for the Florida A&M Rattlers, where he was a Rhodes Scholar candidate and his senior class president. When he got to Cincinnati, Bengals coach Tom Bass nicknamed him the Rattler in honor of Florida A&M's mascot. And in his first training camp, Paul Brown switched Riley from offense to defense. For the next 15 years, he was one of the best cornerbacks in football. Riley played in 207 games, a Bengals record, and was a team captain for his final eight seasons. His 65 career interceptions is nearly double the next best total in team history and tied for fifth best in NFL history. All four players with more interceptions are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And in his final season at the age of 36, Ken Riley was voted first-team All-Pro as he tied for the AFC lead in interceptions with eight and returned two of them for touchdowns. His success didn't end there. After his playing career, Riley spent two years on Forrest Gregg's coaching staff with the Green Bay Packers before becoming the head coach at his alma mater, Florida A&M. After eight years as head coach, He spent a decade as the school's athletic director. Bob Trumpy was Riley's teammate from 1969 to 1977, and he joined me to share memories of the Rattler. Quiet, uh, wonderful teammate, uh, appreciative of your effort. I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Always laughing. Uh, In fact, Dan... uh, when I first found out that Ken Riley had been a quarterback in college, I, I was astonished because he was so quiet. He was a hard guy to get to know, not because of, of any personality flaw. He was a hard guy to get to know because he was so uh, studious about what he was doing and so serious about it. And uh, this is even before your time. Uh, Lamar Parrish was the other cornerback. And uh, Lamar Parrish was the noisy quarterback, and Ken Riley was the quiet quarterback, not only in uh, talk, but in the way they dressed. Uh, I mean, he he was a great guy to be around, and thank God we had that big uh, reunion a couple of years ago when we all got to see each other, and it was wonderful to see him and his family. And uh, I'm just 
uh, so broken up about it, you know. Jim LeClaire died this year. Sam Weiss died this year or in the last 12 months. Time is getting to us, Dan Horde. Yes, it is, unfortunately. We are visiting with Bob Trumpy. Trump, your second season was Ken Riley's first. And as you mentioned, he was a college quarterback. Paul Brown made that switch from quarterback to cornerback that first training camp. Could you tell pretty quickly that it was going to work? No, no, no. Uh, Dan, you got to understand, in those early years of that football team, we all had our own business to take care of. I did not notice Ken Riley. Uh, a lot of people have said that he had an immediate impact. That I noticed during the football games. But uh, it seems to me that our previous season, uh, Fletcher Smith was one corner, and I think a guy named Charlie King was the other corner. And uh, we played an awful lot of zone back then. And when Riley came and Lamar Perry came, we played a lot more man-to-man, and Riley was extraordinary at it. And, and again, I didn't run plays against him. I ran plays against the safety. But the, the thing that, that uh, I remembered most about him, and we had two practices a day, an hour and 15 minutes each, seven days a week for two months in preparation for the season. And other than getting his ankles taped, I never saw Ken Riley in the, in the training room. So then we sat down at tables for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with anybody and everybody. We didn't care what color they were or where they lived. And every time I sat down with uh, Ken Riley, you're not going to believe this, but I kind of dominated the conversation. <laughs> Shocker. So, so uh, I, maybe I didn't give uh, Ken Riley a chance, but uh, I, I was friendly with all of them. But every Every time somebody started, I'm on the sideline with the offense, the defense is out there, there seemed a period of time where every time there was a big cheer from the stands in Riverfront Stadium, it was something that Ken Riley had done. He'd either uh, low-balled Lance Allworth or, or an Otis Taylor of the Kansas City Chiefs, flipped them over, or he had an interception. But, but again, personally, uh, he was just – Great to be around, wonderful guy, and there was so much about him I didn't know about him until later on in our careers, and then after he retired, I wish I'd have known it more. I should have shut up and listened to him. We're chatting with Bob Trumpy. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Trump, that the two most obvious Bengals who belong in the Hall of Fame that aren't are both named Ken, yep. Ken Anderson and Ken Riley. 65 yeah, so career interceptions, tied for fifth best, in NFL history, why, in your opinion, isn't he in? I, I, I don't have a clue. And frankly, when you called me this morning to give me the news about uh, uh, Ken's death, don't ever call me with that information again. You understand me? Fair enough. Take your phone call. I don't want that information. But <laughs> I, I'm sitting here in my office, and um, help me here. He's got the fifth most interceptions. But the, the people on the list there, Paul Kraus leads, I think. He was a safety. Emlyn Tunnell, uh, he was a safety. And then uh, Nitrain Lane was a corner. Riley was a corner. And uh, Rod Woodson uh, was a corner and a safety. So of the true corners, 
Riley is number two behind uh, Night Train Lane. That makes the, that makes it even more absurd that he's not in the NFL. And I, I've talked to a lot of people in and around the NFL and also the Hall of Fame, and I can't get anybody's answer for either one of those kids not being in the Hall of Fame. It makes no sense to me. It doesn't now. It didn't 15 years ago. I, I don't understand it. I mean, you do have to certain you do have to do a certain amount of lobbying, uh, and I and, and I can't explain why neither is in. And it just the, the, the thing that makes me most upset about uh, this situation for Ken Riley and his family is he, he will he'll never get his just due when he's alive, and he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. The thing that I've heard the most when this has been discussed in the past is the fact that he never went to a Pro Bowl, and that in and of itself is probably even more staggering to me than that he's not in the Hall of Fame. He was all pro three times, which is really more prestigious than the Pro Bowl because there are fewer members of the all-pro team each year. But I guess he had the misfortune of being on the team at the same time as Lamar. They were both great players, and Lamar had the added boost of being a great return man, and maybe that's why he got to go to six Pro Bowls when uh, Ken was not selected for any. Yeah, and I I, I think it's fair to say that on an expansion team like the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, how can you have two cornerbacks from the same team uh, make the Pro Bowl squad? Uh, I, I, that's the most logical thing that I've uh, ever come across. I agree with you, Dan. And again, uh, no criticism of Lamar Parrish, but he was the noisy one, and Ken Riley wore 13 on the other side of the field. And, and you're right. Lamar, I, I will admit this, when Lamar showed up and started returning punts, I'm on the sideline with the offense, but when he went on the field to return a punt, I got up to watch. Generally speaking, I was sitting on the bench catching my breath. I watched Lamar Parrish uh, return punts. And, and I, 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 for the life of me, I can't understand why there's not more consideration for Ken Riley, and uh, the three all-pros should tell somebody something. But it's over, said, and done with, and that's the damn shame about it. He won't be alive if he ever does get that reward. Paul Brown sought smart football players, and so many of the guys from your era – yourself included, went on to have tremendous careers after football. Tommy Casanova, doctor, Mike Reed, musician, yourself, broadcasting. In Ken Riley's case, highly successful college head coach, athletic director after that. So he lived up to that that Paul Brown uh, mantra that your life does not end when you take your final snap in the NFL. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and he used to constantly preach to us that uh... – Professional football is a springboard. Uh, we're going to give you a good start. It's up to you to do something with it when you're done. Uh, and uh, Riley, I mean, he didn't live here in the off season. He went back to Florida, and then he would come back to Cincinnati. And that was true for an awful lot of awful lot of players. Not only did players return to where they came from in college, most of them went back to their hometowns. And I know he went back to. Bartow, Florida, a very small town there in Florida. And uh, but man, when he showed up every year, he was in superb shape. 
He was quiet. Let's get the job done. And 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 again, I spent a lot of time in the training room. I was breakable. Uh, he was not. I never saw that guy in the uh, in the training room unless we break after the morning meetings, preparing for lunch. He'd come in the training room to get Essex Johnson to go to lunch. Essex was sitting there watching all my uh, family or whatever his favorite soap opera was. That was he's trying to sneak a peek through. But it's a wonderful guy and. I know he was the captain in the last eight years of his career, well-deserved. It's just, it's heartbreaking. These guys are all dropping all around us, Dan. And I'm 75. I'm one of the oldest guys in the group. I hope you're here for a lot longer, Trump. Well, I, you know, I saw him two years ago. He still looked in magnificent shape, still had that mustache that he always had, and uh, uh, certainly appeared to be... Uh, pristine health, so darn, breaks my heart. As Bob Trumpy mentioned in that interview, Ken Riley was not a guy that spent much time in the training room. Think about this. It's hard for cornerbacks to avoid injuries. They sprint up and down the field on nearly every snap and often have to tackle much bigger players coming at them at full speed. Ken Riley did not miss a single game in 11 of his 15 NFL seasons and never missed more than three in a single year. Before we get to our next conversation, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. In 2017, when the Bengals celebrated their 50th season, fans and media voted to select the top 50 retired players in team history. Ken Riley came in at number 11, third among defensive players behind Tim Crumry and David Fulcher. The players on that list were honored throughout the season at Paul Brown Stadium. And before he returned to Cincinnati, Ken Riley joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Here's Lap. You know what? Paul Brown always said, you win football games with good, smart people. Ken Riley is the epitome. Just a great person, unbelievably intelligent, great football IQ, and a successful guy. I mean, he'd be proud of you, Rattler, everything you've accomplished, not just as a football player in here in Cincinnati, but coaching, athletic director, everything you've done after football. That's what PB was all about, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, uh, that was one of the things he stressed upon us, not only uh, the football part, but what you did after you couldn't play anymore. He wanted you to be a productive citizen in your community. And, uh, you know, he, the people he selected, that was Paul Brown's mode. I mean, he selected people that were intelligent, you know. He, you know, back in the day in training camp, he had to pass that test. Yep. You know, so he started that. So he's very wise in, 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 in that way. Rattler, you know, the thing that you were, you were one of the cornerstones that the franchise was built on. You were here in the early days and, you know, survived all of that craziness. And then the payoff was Super Bowl sixteen. In uh, 1981-82, you're still performing at a high level, you know, three decades. You played here three decades at a high level for the – in three different decades in a high level for the Cincinnati Bengals. And to go through that, the early stages of the franchise, all the way to the Super Bowl, the payoff toward the end of your career, what was that journey like? Well, you know, it was it was good. You know, we were fortunate. I guess in the second year, I was there, 1970, went to the playoffs, and then 73, 76, and then, you know, we were – 
just played during an era where we had some, they had a great conference, you know, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland. I mean, it was a strong, that was black and blue at that particular time. And right. unfortunately, Pittsburgh <laughs> stood in the way. But, uh, you know, it was great. And, and I was at the tail end of my career, 82, 83, I was thinking about the time that Horace Gregg came along. And uh, he, we talked and convinced me to come back again. And um, I don't regret it. You know, I was at the conference my last two years, 82 and 83, with the section. So I didn't sit on the bench. I played 15 years. So after I started, you know, started my first year. So it was, it was great. We had great teammates. Uh, I think the 80, 81, 82 team, I thought it was a great football team. Uh, but, you know, again, San Francisco uh, yep. Yep. did a job both times we were in the Super Bowl. So yep. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. Bengals legend Ken Riley is our guest. Ken, you were a great quarterback at Florida A&M and then switched to cornerback when you got to the Bengals. We want to listen into a comment from Mike Brown on you making that switch as a rookie back in 1969. Kenny came out of college as a quarterback the same year we drafted Greg Cook, number one from you see, Greg Cook was the greatest talent we ever had here. His career ended tragically uh, uh, soon. He was injured, and that uh, ended him as a player. Uh, but when uh, Kenny showed up, Greg Cook was in full bloom, and uh, it didn't take Kenny long to figure out what that meant. Uh, just in the uh, second day of training camp, my father came over to the quarterbacks and said to Kenny, uh, go over and practice with uh, the defensive backs. And Kenny's feelings wasn't hurt. He uh, understood that it was going to be hard for him with Greg on hand. He went over with the cornerbacks. Uh, he was our starter for 15 years. So here's the question, Ken. If Greg Cook was not on the <laughs> roster, could you have succeeded at quarterback in the NFL? I'm not going to take anything away from anybody. I was pretty much like an athlete. I was pretty good as a quarterback. Something more like uh, Russell Wilson, probably a little bit faster. But uh, I have no regrets at all. I was just happy to get the opportunity back then, you know, being a quarterback at a small school. And if you even drafted for, for Coach Brown, he even drafted me, if you an opportunity, I was thankful. I just wanted to get a chance to show that, that, you know, I could do it. A lot of people doubted that I would make it, even some of my college teammates, because I was pampered, just like any quarterback. Nobody touched me in prices and things like that. But, uh, uh, you know, I had the skills. And, uh, and the Tom Bass came and showed me what I had to do. I didn't have any bad habits. So and when Paul Brown got in the camp, Coach Brown said, uh, he was a cornerback, so, but Greg Cook was phenomenal, and, you know, he was a great, great friend of mine, and, uh, but, you know, outside of Greg, I think I could have competed, but Greg definitely was a quarterback during that time. Yeah, Greg was, uh, he was a freak. He had some, yeah, it was. Oh, some <laughs> unusual talent. He had it all. He did. He had it all. He was, he was Joe Namath before yeah. Joe Namath. Exactly. You know, there's no yeah. doubt. Everybody liked him. He had that personality. I mean, we all loved Greg Cook. He yeah. Just, he yep. was great. He was something. So Rattler, you know, your your career after playing football, you coached, you know, at your alma mater, athletic director. How much of Paul Brown, Forrest Gregg, those kind of influences as coaches in your playing days did you take with you, you know, to your career after playing? A lot. And, you know, when you're playing and going through it as a player, you can't see some of the things that maybe a coach can see. But all those people that you mentioned, Coach Brown, uh, Forrest Gregg, uh, 
were, you know, I learned something from all of them. I, I felt that the main thing is what you, you know, you have to, to, your players have to want to play for you. And I think that was the thing uh, with Coach Brown, you know, you play, I played out of fear. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, he, he would tell you right then and there, you wouldn't get the job done, what the consequences were. So you either had you know, two things, either get better or you, 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 you're gone. And Coach uh, Greg brought in that uh, he was just a disciplinarian. I think that's what we needed that particular time. Coach on the right was a great coach, motivated, but we had a lot of young players, and you know they needed a, a firm hand at that particular time. I could have played for either one of them, but Coach Greg came in with that uh, strict discipline that we needed. And you know, we, the next year we were in the Super Bowl. But I learned something from both of them as a player, as a coach, and you know. Both were instrumental to me and made a big difference in my life on and off the field. I, I learned something from both of them. Final question. Appreciate you carving the time for us. You have, Rattler. The the uh, first 50 team in the secondary, uh-huh. Lamar Parrish, Kenny Riley, Tommy Casanova, three of the four guys, David Fulcher rounded it out, three of the four players in the first 50, all time for the Cincinnati Bengals franchise, were some of the original players selected by Paul Brown and company that's that's a big statement to me. That says a lot. How proud are you that three of you four guys are you know here in the year 2017 being honored as one of the all as as a group all time greats? Well, you know, I thought Lamar and I uh, we made a good tandem. We were, I mean, we were pretty good, and Casanova was fit right in that mold as well. Uh, Lewis Breeden came along. He was he was good too. But yep. you know, at the time Lewis came after us, Lewis sort of learn from us a little bit there. Right. But uh, that was a great secondary. We, we played well with that. We were good on and off the field. I remember Chip Miles. Chip, I was Chip in that wide receiver group, too. Yep. But uh, people forget about Chip really great. But we all were playing close, and uh, we worked real hard in practice, and I think that's what made the difference. You know, we worked hard in practice. So when we got in the game, it was like, a, you know, it was, it was a lot easier. But uh, those three guys, Lamar, myself, and Casanova, we made it uh, – that was, that was a great secondary. And I think we could have played even today. I mean, we were just that good. No doubt. No doubt. 65. Just got the job done. Got it done. <laughs> 65 career interceptions tied for fifth in NFL history, about twice as many as anybody else in the Bengals' first 49 seasons. Congratulations on a remarkable career. And, again, we look forward to seeing you back on the field this Sunday. And should be in the Hall of Fame, no Rattler. Question. Rattler, you should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think we had several guys, you know, that uh, on our team that is as worthy of it. But again, we don't make that decision. And the only thing you can do is go out and, and be the best you can be. And hopefully, somebody notice that. A lot of the folks right in there, like, this is good. This is good. You know how good you were. But uh, I, I think that, you know, I really thank you for saying that. But, uh, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe one day. Here's hoping that Ken Riley's passing raises awareness among the Hall of Fame Seniors Committee that evaluates players whose careers have been completed for at least 25 years that the Rattler belongs in Canton. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.